And one of the best things about today is his mercies are new each morning. Amen? How many of you guys need his mercies this morning? I need them. Um, as a church, we've been going through the Sermon on the Mount. And we are slowly getting to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Actually, this is my 16th week that I personally have preached out of the Sermon on the Mount. So this is week 16 for me, and you guys understand that I missed a few weeks in December. So this might be the 19th week that we have been in the Sermon on the Mount. That's kind of crazy. Are any of you guys bored with it yet? I was going to say, if you raised your hand, go home. <laughs> go home. See, we really know how to keep a church happy and tickle their ears here. And we just told you to go home. So 16th week here. And what's really unique to me is where we've landed now in comparison to what's going on in the world today. Wars and rumors of wars, picking the path that we're going to live on because um, there's a decision that we have to make of one of the two roads that we will live on, the narrow road or the small road. I think it's unique that as we went through the Sermon on the Mount and Jesus said, when you fast, that God has called us to a fast as a church in a season as this. There's been a lot of fruit. There's been, um, yeah, I've just seen the church come alive really over the past several weeks that we've been doing this. So it's never too late for you to participate if you haven't. So what we're doing is each day we are fasting from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., and I guess if you want to eat from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m., just constantly, you can. But um, we don't mention it to bring attention to ourselves. We mention it as a church for accountability. But what we understand is this, is it's such a time with the deceit in the world, with the deceit within even the American church and global church, that sometimes us just standing on the sideline is not enough. So as a church, we see that um, fasting is a season where we go without food and uh, we withhold from original sin. Um, so I don't want to re-preach my fasting sermon again, but you can, um, you can join in, you can fast. I think um, in this world, we have a lot of people who want to complain and point fingers, but we don't have a lot of people who want to participate. What I've been blessed by is the number of people that are participating in the fast. Thank you. What's also been unique is the amount of people. We've had over 30 people from the congregation every Wednesday come out here to break, break the fast at 6 p.m., and then we come in here and we worship and we pray for the nation, for our community, for our leaders, for our church, and really what God's up to. It's just been really refreshing as I've shared my faith is being renewed to greater levels. Um, as a younger generation, um, as a pastor of a church, I am completely humbled that, um, that we'd have people older, wiser, smarter, more educated, um, more seasoned, understand the world in a way that I don't, that would continually come to this church and then participate in things such as not eating food. So I'm completely humbled that we have a church that's willing to do that and participate. 
but there's such this, yeah, yeah, just humility that comes about when we do that. So thank you all who are participating. So I say that to say this Wednesday, we will be breaking the fast again at 6 p.m. Bring whatever you want. Like, we've had a Jack's pizza in aluminum foil. We've had bowling alley pizza. We've had homemade soups. We've had bread. We've had um, a lot of potatoes. <laughs> Picking on my friend uh, Dave back there. He's still cheesing about it. It was great. I loved it. We had DiGiorno's pizza last week. So what's so fun about it is everyone's hungry and everyone just brings in random food. And then we just sit there for um, a season and eat and we come in here and worship and pray. So you're invited, please come. We will be ending the fast, I believe the 18th of March. And um, I've learned many lessons. And one of the lessons that I've learned is um, I'm really not dying of hunger at 11 a.m. or 10 a.m., right? I'm not dying. We can survive it. So um, each week we just want to pray into it. And this week I'm going to pray for the fast and what God's up to. Then we'll get into the sermon. So Father, I thank you for um, sustaining us. When we are weak, you are strong, physically, emotionally, spiritually, in every area. Right now, Father, we pray for our nation's leaders, for our world leaders, Father. For this, uh, we pray against the spirit of the Antichrist that is seeking to destroy and devour your kingdom and your people. Father, we pray for um, our nation's leaders that they would bow their knee to you, that, that they would say yes to you, Father, that you would awaken them from their slumber, that you would open up their eyes to... Um, to your ways, into your life. Father, we pray for this community, not only this church community, but this community that this church sits in. I ask that you would open up their eyes and their hearts. Father, that there would be this uh, renewal, that there would be this regeneration, revival, or that people would actually come to know you as Lord and Savior. That it wouldn't just be a, um, a good thing to do as going to church, but this community would be hungry for your word and that they would say yes to you. Father, we also pray for the kids and the students of this community, that you would protect them from the schemes of the enemy that tell them they're not good enough, that they're not valuable enough, that their life doesn't matter. Father, that tell them that the wide road is the road that they should live on. So I pray that you would give your people words of encouragement and truth to speak to them. That you would give uh, your people boldness to love this community and share your gospel. I pray that you would hear our cry during this season, that there would be continually a um, humility during this fast. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All right. Friday at Bible Club, we were able to uh, talk to kids about baptism, and it was unique to hear um, some of the kids who have been baptized some of the kids who have not been baptized. 
But what we were able to do is effectively share with them um, our perspective of what it means to be baptized. That baptism doesn't save you, but baptism is a practical step of obedience to follow Jesus. And um, it's symbolic of being raised a new life in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. So join me in prayer for those who heard that message, that they would, um, they would hear that message and the Holy Spirit through his word would bring transformation power to them. And they say, I need to be baptized. Amen? Add that to your prayer list. Well, let's get into today's sermon. Uh, Matthew chapter 7. But this week, what's going to happen is Jesus is going to warn us about two different types of trees, right? A good tree and a bad tree. Now, the good tree and the bad tree that Jesus is referencing here is a false prophet versus a prophet. One who tells lies and one who tells truth. And why is that important for you and I today? Why, why is it important? Why is this message relevant to you and I? Well, number one, what's unique is thank you. <laughs> there's two types of people in the church. There's people who want to criticize everything, and then there's people who just want to, you're like, man, that hurt. Why are you saying that? There's people who just want to criticize everything, and then there's people who want to um, just receive everything that leadership says, right? It's just like, there, there was a time, there was a season actually when I first became a youth leader, I ended up preaching, I've shared this with many of you guys, out of the book of Trestle. Coach Trestle was still coaching at Ohio State, so I, I asked the kids, I said, if you have your Bibles, please turn to the book of Trestle, verse, uh, book or chapter 17, verse 11. And then I just started to make up and I started to preach out of the book of Trestle. And no kid said anything. Nothing. They had no clue. So what I was sharing with them was the, and some of you are like, wait, we don't have the book of Trestle? It's, yeah, turn to the book of Trestle. It's right after the book of Romans. So I started to preach out of that, and the kids just received it. Five minutes in, I finally said, hey, I just want to let you know that the book of Trestle is not a book. And what we have to be willing to do is understand the Bible in such a way that we just don't receive the teaching of every teacher that we sit under. Just don't take my words as gospel. Take what I say and take it back to the scriptures. Amen? So don't be the overcrit like the critical person that's just always pointing the finger and accusing and, and say you could have said this better. And then don't be the person that just receives everything that I say, right? Or the, the YouTube preacher, or your neighbor who goes to church and knows the Bible. Everything that happens, we must take it back to the scriptures. So that's important for us today, because Matthew 24, verse 5, and then verse 11 point to a spirit of the Antichrist, false prophets who will come in the end of times. And remember, last week we talked out of Matthew 24 about in the end of times, there will be wars and rumors of wars, right? Famines and pestilence, earthquakes in various places. And then scripture says, don't be alarmed because this is just the beginning. Jesus will return. 
So we understand that um, we are in the end of times. And you say, well, does that mean like Jesus is going to come back tomorrow or in five years or 20 years or next year? I don't know when Jesus is returning. And if I told you I knew when Jesus was returning, what should you call me? A false prophet. Because what Scripture tells us is this, is not even Jesus himself knows when anyone or when, uh, not even Jesus himself knows when he's returning. Only the Father in heaven knows. But what we understand is that right now we are in the end of times. And then we also went over the scripture last week that there will be scoffers that come. And they will say, where, where is this Jesus that you said is going to re return? You're just making all these things up. And then we considered that in the end it will be like the days of Noah. See, people will be speaking about the judgment to come. People will be sharing the truth of the future. But no one will care. So I have to personally receive last week's message and say, am I looking to the return of Jesus with a serious lens? Is my life and is my heart aligned with what's going on in this world? Am I truly considering what's going on? So nevertheless, in the end of times, another thing that will take place is there are going to be false prophets. Matthew 24, verse 5, For many will come in my name, claiming I am the Messiah, and will drive out many. Now verse 11, And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. Now, it's important for us to recognize that in the end of time, many false prophets will come, claiming that they are the Messiah. So, people do claim that they are the, the Messiah in today's cultures, but that really doesn't deceive you or I, right? Like, when people come and they say, I am the Messiah, what we end up doing is we say, we really should just pink slip them. You know, like, it's just so black and white. It's so clear to us that this person is crazy that we pay no attention to their ministry. So I believe this scripture is also helping us understand that many will come in the name of Jesus claiming that they know how to lead people to heaven. See, it's not deception if it's not deceiving. And deception isn't clear. There's many things that all of us are believing in our lives that's deceiving us. All of us are deceived in some areas today. And if you're like, I'm not deceived, well, you thinking that you're not deceived in an area is the deception that you're believing, Amen. right? We all fall short of the glory of God, and none of us have fully been sanctified unto Christ. None of us have arrived yet on this side, nor we, nor will we ever. Nevertheless, this scripture is helping us understand that many will come in the name of Jesus, claiming to know how to lead us to heaven. And this is dangerous, and you and I must be able to discern what is right and wrong. So in today's scripture out of Matthew 7, 15 through 20, if you have your Bibles, please turn there. Watch out for false prophets. They will come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, 
Every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears, bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by the fruit, you will recognize them. What Jesus is doing here is warning you and I about one of the greatest threats that we will face as we desire to live on the narrow path. What is that? False prophets who are wolves in sheep's clothing. He's warning us that as we desire to live on the narrow path, that there's going to come wolves in sheep's clothing who say that they know the narrow path and uh, say that they know how to lead us to heaven, but it's deceiving. The problem is that we seemingly pass this scripture up though, right? It's irrelevant to us. See, we, 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 we consider the narrow path and the wide road. We consider the small gate that leads to heaven and the wide gate that leads to hell. We consider those things and it, and it speaks to us. And then we get to 15 through 21 and we're like, yeah, I'm not worried about the false prophets. And then we get to, um, yeah, 21 and then it says, but many will come to Come to me in my name saying, did we not prophesy? Did we not perform miracles? Did we not deliver demons? And Jesus says, plainly, I tell you, I never knew you. That one speaks a little bit to us. But when we get to verses 15 through 20, we just kind of don't worry about it. Because we just assume we are not going to be deceived. And I think that that is dangerous. The problem is we pass this scripture up. We think more about the economy. We think more about our health. We think more about our safety. We think more about all the finances in our house. We think more about politics. We think more about our hobbies than how the world or how the spirit of the Antichrist might be trying to deceive us today. And in our lives, we often strive to find peace, find comfort, and happiness, rarely considering how we find peace after this life. So we find ourselves taking, or sorry, talking more about the government and what's going on within the world. Now, a good government can certainly help make life a whole lot easier, right? It just can. A good government can do that. While bad go government can make life a whole lot more difficult. And right now what we see happening is a worldwide government um, operating in a very unique way that seem, seems to be um, submitting to the spirit of the Antichrist. And some of you are like, what are you talking about? Just pray about it. I, um, I see the spirit of the Antichrist in the world right now very clear. Um, so a bad government can definitely make life more difficult. But a bad government and bad leaders can only affect what our life looks like on the outside. Side note, 1 Timothy 2 tells us to pray for our government leaders. But even though the government and a bad government can only affect what's going on on the outside of us, 
um, we can determine what goes on on the inside. See, society is falling apart, and life seems to be more difficult right now. But society cannot stop the work of Christ in us. Amen? It's not society's decision what goes on inwardly within our hearts. Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident, of, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. So in spite of what's going on in the world, no matter how good or bad the government is, Christ is the one who completes the work within us. Now you're like, where are you headed with this? I'm trying to get there. So the spirit of the Antichrist might be able to affect what's going on outwardly, but not in you. So the greatest challenge that we face internally is this, is who do we serve? What road do we live on? Today's scripture, Jesus helps us understand how we can internally be impacted by false prophets who present deceiving lies. So what this initially means is this, is that false prophets will come. Watch out for false prophets. They come in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So what I wanted to do is just look um, in the Old Testament real quick at um, false prophets. Zechariah 13.4. On that day, every prophet will be ashamed of their prophetic vision. They will not put on a prophet garment of hair in order to deceive. Sorry, yeah. These false prophets will come in sheep's clothing. So false prophets come in sheep's clothing, right? That's what's happening here. They will not put on a prophet's garment of hair in order to deceive. So what we understand is prophets seemed to have some kind of garment that they were wearing. They looked a certain way. There was an appearance that was with them. They mimicked the real prophets. This means that when the scripture today is talking about sheeps, right, that they will come in sheep's clothing, that means that false prophets will this, they will talk like a leader. They will appear meek like a leader. They will have answers from God. They will speak scripture. Now, the scriptures that they speak, they won't always be within context. Um, they will be manipulative within their nature, and they will lead us astray. As I've shared before, I went through... Um, training with one of the churches I was with before, and the leaders were saying this, um, speaking to you, so me sitting in the congregation, they said, hey, according to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, you have all the spiritual gifts needed. You have everything. So they were telling me in the congregation, you have all the spiritual gifts. 
So then the congregation's getting really excited based upon the one scripture in 1 Corinthians. There's this anticipation welling up within them. Sweet, I have all these spiritual gifts. I have all these powers according to this one verse in scripture. But what was really disappointing about this is the context from the speaker was not presented to the congregation. See, what the Apostle Paul was doing is he was speaking and actually rebuking the church in Corinth because he was saying, hey, look, you have all of these collectively as a church. You have everything that you need to serve God appropriately. But you're not doing any of it. So I was being told that I have all the spiritual gifts needed. But Paul, within the context, was rebuking the Corinthian church, saying, hey, you have everything that you need, but... See, there's two different contexts there, right? So false prophets will present scriptures. They will appear to be godly. They will appear to have everything that a real shepherd or prophet might carry, but yet they're deceiving. So these false leaders will come. Again, their presentation will look like leaders, like leaders that are appointed by God. But the difference is, is they will prey on the spiritually immature and weak. They will prey on the spiritually immature and weak, such as those in Ephesians. I want to read verse 14 here. Then we will no longer be infants tossed around back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. See, the false prophets are going to pick on those people who are going to be swayed and blown around by any teaching that comes their way, any craftiness. And you know, sometimes I beat myself up because you get on YouTube and you see all these mega pastors with these great illustrations and you see all these pastors with like just they seem to have it all together. Man, I wish I could present like him. Man, I wish I thought about an illustration like that, but actually what I realized is the illustration that this person is sharing is actually an illustration that this person shared, and then this person shared it from another person, and every person is sharing it from another person and using it as if it were their own. So as integrity, or trying to be a person of integrity, if I ever read something from someone else's sermon, I say one author has said it this way, right? I don't want to be the person who makes you think that I'm some crafty person up here with an illustration or, and you guys can tell when I read something from another author because you're like, that was put together. <laughs> that was a complete sentence. So really, I'm just probably looking out for myself so that you're just not like, yeah, he's plagiarizing up there and we know it. See, but the heart's deceitful above all else, so I wouldn't doubt that that's why I'm doing it. Nevertheless, the spirit of the Antichrist, false prophets are going to come and they're going to prey on people who are just going to be swayed by anything that they hear, any craftiness, anything that emotionally stirs them up. See, we have a church today, an American church, that wants to feel something rather than know truth. Right? Truth is what sets you free. Emotions are a little bit of fuel that gets you out the door. Emotions do not save you. 
So we have to be careful that we're just not seeking to be entertained, that we're seeking to be set free. And if we're seeking to be set free, we, we look to the scriptures. So false prophets will come and they're going to look the part. They're going to be um, presenting in such crafty ways that draw us in. And recently I, I saw a pastor, I won't bring up his name, um, broke my heart. Generally speaking, I think that um, a lot of the illustrations that he shares are within context. I don't watch him often, but I did see this on mainstream media, so it made me go search it out. But what this pastor um, illustrated is, is he was um, talking about a scripture that we presented in the book of John, where Jesus spit in dirt. And he took the spit and he took the dirt and he rubbed it on the man's face. And then he told the man, go from here, go um, wash your face. See, I really believe that the illustration in John was nothing about the spit. Uh, maybe some things about the spit. But essentially, the man was healed because he was obedient to the Father. Well, what this pastor ended up doing is um, he, he was just really working the sermon, and he spit in his hand. And I'm okay. I guess if I spit in my hand, fine. And he spit in his hand, and, he, and he, he's talking about, I think, the DNA of Christ and... Um, just really playing it and playing it. And then what he ended up doing is he had someone on stage and he took the spit of his hand and, I mean, it was disgusting and he just wiped it all over his face. And um, mainstream media picked it up and said, look at this illustration. Now he did come out and apologize and I felt how God was using that in his life. But see, during this day and age, a younger generation specifically my generation and below, or maybe even just a few years older than me, they're not looking for truth. They're actually pursuing false prophets. And don't hear that I'm calling this guy a false prophet. I've never heard him say something that is anti-biblical, nor do I listen to him every day. But point being is, 10 years older and below, there's a generation, and maybe just all generations, are seeking to be entertained and be happy by maybe false prophets that tickle their ears that make them feel good when they leave service. So instead of their toes being uh, stepped on by scripture, what they say is, I wanna go to a church that's gonna make me feel good about my life. Instead of a church being called to fasting and praying and denying oneself, they say, I wanna go to a church that promises me finances and prosperity and happiness. Instead of a church that says those who desire to live a godly life will be persecuted. They want to go to a church that manipulates the scriptures and says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Really? Because you're, you're on your fourth wife, right? So if you could do all things through Christ who gives you strength, why didn't you work it out with your first or your second or your third? those things hit us in our face a little bit. So false prophets are going to teach some unique things. The first thing that we have to be aware of that false prophets are teaching today, that false prophets will teach tomorrow, is cheap grace. I have so many people who just want to hear grace, and actually it is by grace that we have been saved not by our works so that no one can boast. Amen? 
But we have a generation of leaders who are teaching cheap grace. Jude 1.4. It's on the screen. For certain leaders whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into a license of immorality and deny Jesus Christ and our only and deny Jesus Christ our only sovereign um, and Lord. So there's false teachers that are in the American church, in the global church right now, that are perverting what grace is into a license to sin. Essentially, I've heard people talk about giving us license to sin before, but actually scripture tells us those are people who preach cheap grace. Grace does not give us a license to go do whatever we want to do. Amen? So when teachers come to us, this isn't my opinion, by the way. I don't get to preach my opinion. This is scripture. There's teachers that will come and teach cheap grace. I know that there's been preachers that I've listened to on, on podcasts. Do you guys know what podcasts are? I'm kidding. I'm just making sure you're listening. You know what? Though? I'll preach till the rocks cry out. So I was listening to a pastor once on um, grace, and I really uh, liked the guy. Um, but he just essentially gave me and other people a license to sin. So then it's like, well, I guess if I have a license to sin, then I can go tell this person how I really feel. So I went and told the person how I really felt. How do you think that ended up? Now, there's something to be truthful, but we had to be mindful that every time, every time that we sin, we are the person that pinned Jesus to the cross. Just because we don't see him, just because we weren't there, doesn't mean that he didn't die for our sins. We, our sin is the reason why Jesus had to die. So when we have preachers teaching cheap grace, when we have leaders preaching cheap grace, that means that it's you and I who are killing Jesus. And that hurts. That hurts to think that I was the reason why someone had to die and their blood be spilled out from them. Amen? I've shared with you before, Macy doesn't like me killing spiders in the house. She has this little spider club. You want to know why? Because death is an enemy. You realize that. Death is an enemy. So every time that we live under the mantle of cheap grace, we are the enemy of Christ. So false prophets will teach it. False prophets will teach destructive heresies. 2 Peter 2.1. But there was also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false prophets among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even deny the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destructions 
on themselves. So destructive heresies, what are they, right? So we have works gospel. Many of you guys believed that as we went through the book of James that we were preaching works gospel. We were not. James is a really hard book. But many pastors will come, many false teachers will come saying, you must do this or you must do this. You must confess your sins to your priest. You must do this many Hail Marys. You must read your Bible. Well, you should. But reading your Bible doesn't save you. Reading your Bible will set you free because it's the truth. What about this? Not only do people preach works, people also preach baptism. There's pastors that preach that baptism saves you. I do not believe according to Scripture that baptism saves you. Scripture would preach, or people will preach that there's multiple ways to heaven. As you've heard, there's a district superintendent who oversees many churches within this region, even a church in Mechanicsburg, while I was in a meeting with them, who said this, that Jesus Christ is not the only way, but Jesus Christ is a way to heaven, and Jesus Christ is the way that I choose but we cannot limit God and say that he's the only way. Someone who oversees a church in this area and hundreds of, other with the, uh, hundreds of others within this region has said that Jesus Christ is not the only way. What are they? A false prophet. Now, if, if I can live under cheap grace and have a license to sin... If I think that I can just say I'm sorry to a priest and then do a Hail Mary, if I think that I can just go be washed in water and come up, and then there's multiple ways to heaven, then life becomes all about me and pretty easy. It becomes a life that tickles my ear. So we have to be aware of these schemes and manipulative teachings there's also one more I'll mention, but there's also the name it, claim it, right? If you name it, you can claim it, and it's yours. Has that ever worked for anyone in here? I was naming and claiming that I'd be like Travis, six foot five. Never happened. Named and claimed that I'd get, win the mega billion, and I don't even play it that it'd just be like a golden ticket that showed up in my mailbox. What's that um, organization who brings those big checks to people's house? Yeah. Publisher's wearing, ha uh, wearing house. <laughs> the publisher's wearing house that they just show up at my door. Be like, hey, you won a billion dollars. I've named and claimed and it hasn't worked. And actually I haven't. But there's these lies and deceits from preachers and teachers that maybe you're not deceived by. Or maybe you were once deceived and now you're not. But our friends and our family members and our communities are being deceived by these teachers. And what, what these teachers are doing is helping them live on the wide road that's sending them to hell. And that's scary. But it's not about works. Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. I read this earlier. 
For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and it's not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So we can't settle for cheap grace, but it's also not about works, but there's still works to be done. Confusing, isn't it? It can be confusing, which when we are confused, what are we to do? Keep on seeking the heart of God in his word. False prophets will teach that there's no absolute truth. 2 Timothy 4.3, for the time will come when people will, put, will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So there's coming a time where people, where people will not preach sound doctrine. There's going to be people who just want, have this desire to go to churches and follow leaders who just tell them the things that they want to hear. Where they won't say that a sin is a sin. Where they won't say that there's an actual hell that people go to. It's not our choice what the Bible says, but it is our choice to follow it. So there's teachers coming who will say that there's no absolute truth. 1 John 1, 8 through 10. If we say we have no sin, we de deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. So we have people who say that there is no sin. We have people who say that um, a lot of the things in the world, sexual sin, lying, stealing, cheating, you can identify however you want to identify. That's a direct attack from the spirit of the Antichrist. But what we see here is if we say we have no sin, we have deceived ourselves. That's what scripture tells us. Every one of us in here is a sinner. Everyone in this world is a sinner, according to scripture. So when we have people who say a sin isn't a sin, they tell us that we can live however we wish and that we can pursue prosperity, there's a problem. Ultimately, these teachers are looking out for themselves. That's what's happening. When we have these false prophets, these teachers are looking out for themselves. 1 Timothy 6, 3 through 5. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil uh, suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that the godlessness is a means to financial gain. This scripture is extremely interesting to me. Um, I feel like there's 
there's been many people within my life who um, they have an un, um, unhealthy interest in controversy and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, and evil suspicion that creates constant friction between people. Do you guys know any of those people? All they ever want to do is argue about things that just kind of don't matter. Now, the spirit of the Antichrist and false prophets will, will do these things. And, and, and what the scripture tells us is um, they have been robbed of truth, and these people um, are only out for financial gain. It's interesting to me. Nevertheless, how will we know who these teachers are, who these false prophets are? What's going to help us understand um, them in society? Jesus furthers what he's saying, and he says, you'll know them by their fruits. Verse 16, by their fruits you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. So, you don't get tomatoes from a strawberry plant, right? You don't get pine cones from a maple tree. Because false prophets look the part and are disguised to look like real shepherds, Jesus tells us to discern them by their fruit. Now, fruit is based upon the type of plant that it is. Now, Paul says something very similar to the scripture in 1 Timothy 5. I'm just going to read it real quick. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, and even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. So essentially, Paul is saying, fruit will eventually reveal itself. So not all fruit is seen immediately. Sometimes fruit takes a while. But what he's telling us is, look, you're going to be able to discern someone's life, discern who someone is over a lifetime. Eventually, the tree's going to grow. Now, what's important is in the Sermon on the Mount several weeks ago, what he said is, don't be judgmental of that person, but there's an appropriate way to not write people off and say that they're good for nothing. What we are to do is to discern who people are in their nature, right? Don't be judgmental and write people off, but discern whether they are of God or not of God. Now, what's interesting to me is when it comes to fruit, um, when it comes to fruit, what is it? Many different people have an idea of what fruit is within the church. Is it prophecy? Is it miracles? Is it delivering demons? Now, I brought those three up very specifically because if you've read the rest of the chapter, you understand. Is it the church size? Is it the attendance? Is it the offerings that people give each week? Is it giving to the poor? What is fruit according to Scripture? 
People say, well, wouldn't a full church mean that there's fruit? Well, yeah, there's fruit of something. A full church might mean that each week I'm spitting in my hand and wiping it on people's faces and you guys are entertained by it. It doesn't mean that there's godly fruit coming from it, right? We could have a stadium of 60,000 or 20,000 people that meet in our church building allegedly in the name of Jesus each week, but no fruit come from the people's lives. So what is fruit? According to Scripture, Galatians 5, 19 through 23, the act of the flesh are obvious. Sexual immorality, impurity, and debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy and drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit, right? That's what we're looking for, fruitfulness. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such thing, there is no law. So how do we judge fruit? It's not by the shiny things of life. Right? What is it? Love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. That's fruit, and that's how we measure it. In your life, is God growing you in the uh, fruits of the Spirit? Since false teachers are out there, we must be well-versed. We must always test the spirits. We must be discerning, not judgmental. And we must look out for others. So what fruit are you seeing from these modern-day preachers? Are they sticking to God's word, or are they bringing attention to themselves and asking for more money? Do they have their own private jets and airlines? And I want to be careful not to accuse either. Um, but there is just a money movement of people's ears being tickled. One author says it this way. Many are headed down the broad road to destruction, unawares, because of false teachings and their teachings. Ones they met at a Christian university, seminary, church, or ministry. False teachers are dangerous, and therefore, Scripture commonly warns us about them. Their appearance and their influence are inevitable. Can you recognize them and their fruits? Being able to recognize them will protect you and others from their destructive influence. So even today, we should take our faith so seriously that we're taking notes during church to make sure that when you go home, look, life is not about us serving ourselves. Life is about being intimate and knowing the Father and being obedient to Him. Amen? Most of our lives, what we do is we feel like we just try to do enough of God so that then we can do whatever we want. 
What I think that we should end up doing is we should be taking notes during church and then throughout the week studying those notes and making sure that those notes were appropriately taught, that those notes um, in, in the scriptures that were presented were within context and they weren't tickling our ears. They weren't leading us astray. But many of us are like, well, I don't have time after church to do that. Our, we were created to walk in communion and relationship and intimacy with the Father, and that be the number one priority. Amen? So the best way to respond to untruth is... Um, to untruth is truth, because truth sets us free, according to John 8.32. It is truth that sets us free. So how do we, how do we uh, one author said this, how do we protect ourselves from untruth and deceit and lies? Number one, we put on the armor of Christ. Number two, we discern truth from error. Number three, we speak truth in love. Number four, we always be ready to share about our faith. It's really unique when we find ourselves in situations where we're bombarded or cornered about our faith. Anyone ever been there? Anyone been there recently? Where someone is just like hitting you in your face with questions, you're like, I wasn't ready for that. What scripture tells us is to be ready in season and out of season to give a reason for our faith. We need to participate in ministry of reconciliation. Not writing people off, but restoring people to the correct perspective of who Jesus is. And then finally, we need to pray for grace and unity within the church. So today, what Jesus is sharing with us is there's a good tree and there's a bad tree. Who you follow, who you follow, or who you allow to speak in your ears will help dictate which path you live on. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, I pray that your truth, um, it's a promise that you would uh, set people free. I pray that you give us discerning ears, that we would be people of boldness to prioritize time, of seeking out the scriptures to make sure that we are not led astray. Father, uh, protect us from the schemes of the enemy this week. Give us wisdom. And um, may we serve you better in Jesus' name. Amen. I was just even thinking about, um, you know, so many people who have created ministries on once saved, always saved, or um, I, I'm opening up a huge can right now. I understand this. Once saved, always saved, elect, non-elect, um, or even, you know, what about the rapture? Pre, post, pre, post, or um, things like that. I recognize that there's teachers that just take such a dogmatic approach on some of these things that, um, you know, sometimes their stance or their ministry based upon pre-trib, post-trib, or no-trib is the only thing that ministries focus on. Or sometimes ministries only uh, focus on once saved, always saved, or whatever. Here at Mechanicsburg Christian Fellowship, what we believe that we are to focus on is Jesus Christ, resurrected as the only way to heaven, that a sin is a sin. A lot of those things are going to work themselves out one day. Amen? Because look, if you put your faith in Jesus, 
if you put your faith in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, and a sin, a sin is a sin. If we get raptured beforehand, praise God, right? If we get raptured afterwards, praise God, we're in heaven. It doesn't change who Jesus is. So be careful how much you put your trust and faith in these dogmatic preachers on some of these controversial issues. Just the focus should be Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected. Amen?